Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this podcast, Recover Out Loud. And today on Recover Out Loud, we are recording our flagship series, Recovered Interviews with Alcoholic Women. If at any time you feel inspired by this message, please share it with a friend. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, rate us on Spotify. It really does help us reach more alcoholic women, which is ultimately what we are trying to do. So today we are going to be interviewing Ariana T. Today is actually the first day that um, I'm meeting her, but I feel like I've known her. So Isaac, who's like an honorary podcast guest, because I talk about him <laughs> probably every episode. I always have to say this. He is the the deceased father to my son. So anyways, he would talk so highly about her all the time. And then when Emily, who I'll put the link to her episode in the show notes, when Emily recommended that we have her on, it was like, it just totally clicked. Like I had to do it. And as soon as I opened the door and saw her, it was like, we knew each other, you know? (laughs) And so it's just, today's going to be the first time I get to hear her story. And from what I hear, it's a good one. Ariana, do you mind just introducing yourself? Let us know what your sobriety date is and Give us a little bit of background, what your alcoholism was like, and what led you to a place to want to get sober. Yeah, for sure. First off, thank you so much for having me. The new house is absolutely beautiful, and it's so good to be here, so thank you. (laughs) My name's Ariana, right? I'm a recovered alcoholic. I've been sober since August 22nd of 2013, which is funny because I was actually just talking to Emily about sobriety dates and I had to think about it. I'm like, wait, is it the 22nd? You know, which to me is really cool because once upon a time, like I obsessed so greatly like on the date and I would be in detoxes or treatment centers and I'd make little... (laughs) like wooden boxes that had the sobriety date on it you know but I didn't have a real solution for my for my problem so it didn't actually work out did you get a tattoo I did not I actually I'm lucky that I spent all of my money on substances I have no (laughs) tattoos I couldn't afford them uh thank god because I would have some pretty bad ones (laughs) so side note but yes I just think I think that's cool right that that, that's it's quality over quantity you know for Mm -hmm. me and that's something we can dive into in a little bit. But so for me, um, and what kind of brought me into recovery, the book talks about alcohol being the great persuader. And that is definitely my experience. That's the only thing that could beat me into a state of reasonableness to accept a, a different way of living, to accept a solution, to accept a higher power, all the above, right? So what that looked like, (laughs) lots of treatment centers, lots of jails, lots of um, medical consequences, lots of emotional, spiritual consequences. I mean, for me, I feel like it's a pretty typical story of just 
alcoholism, right? Of just that being the most important thing in my life, you know, and being that manipulative person, being that self-centered, egotistical, really little girl um, and, and before coming into the program. But so there's a lot of history there, different things that kind of brought me here. But the last time I went to treatment, it was the same song and dance. Consequences were the same, like totaled my car, nothing new there. Got off felony bond conditions, nothing new there. The boyfriend gets locked up again, nothing new there, right? All of those external things were the same. But what was different for me was more internal, right? For me, that that bottom that people always talk about is, is really an internal condition. And, and for whatever reason, I was more afraid to stay the same at that point, right, than to change. And I remember going into treatment the last time and my father actually per- approached me and said, I think you need, you know, I think you need help. And I was like, good lead a rehab, <laughs> you know, and I studied LCDC in, in college, like oh, wow. briefly, but like I thought I knew a thing or two. I couldn't stay sober, save my life, right. but intellectually I knew the classes. I knew the, I could write the best relapse prevention plan you've ever seen, right? Oh my gosh. You okay. Know? So hold on. <laughs> relapse prevention. <laughs> We have a podcast called Relapse Prevention. Okay. And it is not what you're thinking it is. <laughs> it is the best. So it's Relapse Prevention, a big book workshop. And basically it is steps 10, 11, and 12. Love it. And it's led by Chloe and Lisa. Perfect. So I'm going to put that in the show notes too. But that just made me think yes. of it. Yes. No, a real, a real actual plan. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Something that works yeah. versus like my notes of what I'm going to do, you know? Yeah. Because my big thing is what I would do. I would learn great things in treatment. I've been in great treatment centers. I have. I've been in not great treatment centers. I had been in a variety. I would learn great tools. I would, again, intellectually, I knew what they were talking about. I, I understood it. Um, but, you know, obviously was missing that language of the heart thing that we have with, with the steps. But what would happen is I would I would wait until the moment where the obsession had me in its grips to start to try and apply those things. Mm. And that is far too late, right? Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm obsessing. I want to get drunk. What do they tell me to do? Call someone, you know, pray, go to a meeting, all those kind of things you would hear. And then my second thought is, well, none of those are going to get me drunk. So I don't want any of those. Right. Right? Like, yeah. that's just how I worked. That's just how I had that complete lack of mental defense. Like, it just was not there for me. So I kind of got off track a little bit there. But a lot of that, um, the last time, taking it back to the last time going into treatment, it was my dad, again, who approached me for treatment, right? And I'm like, no, I, you know, I can lead a rehab. And I, I tried to convince him, actually. I think the reason I am the way that I am is because of anxiety. Hmm. And if you help me get a script, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I would stay sober, <laughs> which oh, yeah, horrible idea, right? Mm-hmm. Luckily, he saw right through that and was like, okay, no, I don't think that's what you need. And he actually shot it to me straight. I'll never forget this. He said, look, you don't have a car. You don't, your guy's gone, right? He's locked up. You literally have nothing to lose. Why don't you go back into treatment? And I was like, huh. And that's what, honestly, that's what brought me in to treatment this last time. And I've been sober for, you know, what, eight and a half years. Wow. So I'm a big believer in like, I care more what you do when you get here versus like what brings you here because mm-hmm. we all come here for different reasons um, or different situations. But like, what are we going to do about this opportunity? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what brought me into recovery. And then being in treatment again for, had, 
you know, for, I don't know, six or seven time maybe. The course was the same. It was the same information. But again, I was beaten down just enough mm-hmm. to where I realized I didn't have all the answers for like the first time in my life of thinking I was top dog of life, right? Mm-hmm. So I had an, I just had a different experience, you know, and I wanted different results. So I, I took different actions. Like I followed suggestions, all, all these things that were <laughs> not my go-to before. Like I actually tried to do and, you know, here we are. So... That's fantastic. I love the whole matters what you do when you get here mm-hmm. versus what what got you here because I've seen things that front in the beginning looked like no way would yeah. she make it. Right. You know, but then put in the footwork and actually I'm one of those. Right. My <laughs> literally my sponsor, my first sponsor, do you know Sabrina? I oh yes. Yes with she, the incredible laugh and yes, laugh. Yes, love and her. the big smile. She's a peach. Uh, yeah. She was the first one to ever take me through the steps. Awesome. She doesn't sponsor me anymore, but I'm forever grateful for her. But she tells a story how about like whenever we first met, she left and she turned to her friend and said, yes. that girl will never call me. I'll never hear from her. And, and my people, here I am, right? you know, so, we just don't know. We right. really don't. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, I completely relate to that. That's awesome. So how long were you in treatment? I, <laughs> there's a few different treatment centers there right so usually it was 30 to 90 days depending on the treatment center and then there was like a hospitalized type detox Mm -hmm. slash like (laughs) experience there but that was that was more like of a week and then I've been in you know sober livings and things like that but as far as inpatient treatment it usually was like 30 to 90 days my first treatment center I was ever in was 90 days 18 years old Wow. Yeah, middle of the no old. yeah, middle of the nowhere, Texas. <laughs> like a lot of times they are. Yeah. And that was a really interesting experience actually because again, I'm eighteen. My family knew it was bad, but they didn't know how bad it was. Mm-hmm. And nor was I gonna tell them how bad it was because then that just was gonna have them on my back more, you know? Mm-hmm. But I did want to be sober on some level. But that experience so long story short, um the very when I get into get checked in finally after a few hours of like process and I get to my peers, the very first thing one of my peers says is, how long do you think you're going to be here? <laughs> like red flag, right? That's yeah. usually not the first thing you want to hear. And I said, well, I'm going to be here for 30 days, right? How long have you been here? And he said, I've been here for 106. And I said, well, you suck. And I don't <sighs> honestly. And that's like a common theme in like my delusions of me just being I was just had such blinders on, just the ego and the pride and the arrogance and all mm-hmm. that. So hopefully you can hear that versus like where I'm at today. But that was very much where I was at, at that time. And and yeah, I ended up being there 96 days, you know, first time in treatment. And at, at some point, I do remember like looking back at like kind of where I was at. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, it's bad, but it could get a little worse and I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And so clearly we're not ready. Right. Right. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, a lot of us can probably identify a time where we kind of related. I don't know. But for me that I could, I remember thinking that. Mm-hmm. And so after I pretty much just conformed out of fear for 
staying longer. The reason why I like to share this experience is because a lot of the things that happened there were some of which were just illegal you know the judge's daughter worked there they would get court order you if you tried to leave they had solitary confinement i mean you had to wear flip-flops at all times because of how many people would try and run from the facility so the reason why i mentioned that i have no ill feelings about you know that place all these years later obviously but like it was really important for me in my journey with help Right? Like what I thought help was in recovery is because here's my first time and I felt so violated. I Mm -hmm. felt I couldn't trust anybody who said they were trying to help me in recovery. Couldn't trust the therapist, the counselor, my parents who lied to me and said I was going away for 30 days, you know, because I had such an obsession with that being the magic number, you know? Yeah. And all that. So it put a really bad taste in my mouth for treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is an important part of, of my story and my experience. But I nonetheless went to treatment multiple times just right. because my family didn't know what to do with me. I didn't know what to do with me. And I really didn't think I'd live past 21, you know? Yeah. Did you have resentment around that for a while, do you think? I think back then I for sure did. I didn't know. I didn't have the word for it. Yeah. I don't know that I could identify it how I would now identify as resentment. Mm-hmm. But was I pouring alcohol on top of it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I for sure. Because... Again, it, there was a lot of mistrust. And it's real ironic, though, because God forbid my family do what they think is best to help save my life Right. when every word out of my mouth was a lie, pretty much. Yeah. Right? Like, it's that old street mentality, as I call it. Yeah. <laughs> I can do this to you, but if you do it to you me, you done messed up. Right. right? Like, <laughs> so I think for sure at that time, and it got really bad after that first treatment center. I was down in Austin sober living great place nothing wrong with the place right it was it was it was a good deal i linked up with another person who just wasn't wasn't ready to be well you know and it got bad really quick and while i was down there i talked about a little bit like physical consequences one of the things that came up for me in, in sober living like actively getting messed up in sober living faking the test the whole nine mm. right just mm-hmm. real sick and i woke up one day and my right leg didn't work kind of like the best way i could describe it is like if your leg goes asleep Mm-hmm. Kind of that weird, tingly, like, can't really... It was like that, but it didn't wake up. <laughs> so that happened to me when I was down there, and it ended up that I had 40% nerve damage in my right leg. Wow. Um, and I didn't know at the time, but after going to all the doctors and figuring out and eventually getting honest about where I was at, it was because I went to bed so sedated. Wow. I literally, my nerves stopped firing while I was sleeping because your nerves are, like, constantly firing, and mine just, like, slowed, and that, and hence the nerve damage. So I had, like, a bum leg, right? But it can get a little worse, of course, yeah. Right? It could get a little worse, right? Insert a little worse, yeah. right? And even after all that, when that finally came to a head and my family knew I wasn't doing well again and approached me for treatment number two, I was in the hospital. The ER hospital where I was at had to approve you for the detox, admitted, like the inpatient program. They have to approve you. And, and the doctor wouldn't approve me because he didn't think I wanted to be sober. Wow. Even like with these major consequences. Did you like want to be dying. sober? So here, one thing I learned like when I actually got into this deal and like went through the work is there's a difference in wanting it and wanting to want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't know that because if you would ask me back then, I would say yes. Right. I wanted it. I wanted it for years and it broke my heart that I couldn't have it and I didn't know how to have it. But now my view on that is no, I didn't because if I, I – did I take the action required? No. So for me, that's where the difference lies is like I was a want to want it 
for a long time but for me it felt the same like I thought that I really did want it yeah and so I just started crying and he approved me wow yeah (laughs) it's kind of like step one somebody can say all day long that they have step one but it's like you can really tell if somebody has fully conceded by their actions not by their words you know yes I mean it sounds like that that's kind of what happened with you is it took the seventh treatment center before you fully before you were able to fully concede yeah so the last treatment center that you went to was that big book based no i mean i wouldn't say based they did have outside meetings Mm -hmm. they would when you got when you were like a couple weeks into the program you could graduate and go to outside meetings with staff which was really cool oh that is cool it's like not that common and i think they changed that that's not the way they do it anymore but when i was there that was a part of what we did so that was cool and we did they had most of the staff was in long-term recovery which was cool and they did have speakers come in so they Mm -hmm. did have a good amount of 12 steps around you it was kind of like optional like Mm -hmm. a lot of like the evening meetings were optional like you didn't have to go to them and Things like that. Did you go to them? The last time, yeah. So that was a big difference is like um, I actually went to the last the last two times I was in treatment was the same treatment center, mm-hmm. which for my family is groundbreaking because whenever I would relapse, my family would blame the treatment center. Oh, wow. Oh, it's not. Surely it's not Ariana. Right. <laughs> surely that's it's not the disease of alcoholism. Uh, right. So it's good. that place was bad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so for whatever reason, I got to go back to the same place twice. And so you could see a stark difference in the the second to last time I was ready to get out of there and whereas the second time like insurance approved me for like 15 more days and I accepted it like I stayed I didn't want to leave like you know like on some mm-hmm. level I was kind of afraid right I, that's you know, the best place to be though. right because mm-hmm. we're at a certain point we're not ignorant we know exactly what's going to happen yeah you always hear you know insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results and a friend of mine, he would say, our insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, you know, knowing damn well what's going to happen and doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I vibe with that so much because that was my truth in the last like few years of what was going on. And so it's definitely a trip for sure. So what was your exposure to the solution? Was it mm. seeing the staff members or was it not until after you left? So yeah, that's a great question. So while I was there, they took me to an outside meeting mm-hmm. and I heard some a woman share and it shot me through the heart. And that's that language of the heart I was talking about. And I asked her to be my sponsor and she was like, yes. And yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, I was so excited. We didn't actually start the work until I left uh, treatment, which wasn't too long after that. For whatever reason, that's the way it played out. So we dived into the work as soon as I got out. Mm-hmm. And so we did one, two, and three you know, getting started on four. And she, she tells me, I'm so sorry. Um, I actually don't have the time that you deserve. Mm. I shouldn't have taken you on. You know, I'm sorry. Like she just had a lot of commitments, family, school. I mean, well, that, I mean that was nice. She's being honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, obviously now I understand. Right. Right. At the time I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh, for sure. My sponsor broke up with me. So rejected. Right. Like, yes. what do I do? And it's really funny. I talked about like wanting different and doing different right old way of doing things an old way of viewing things would have been like okay this is a sign i'm not meant to be sober honestly i would do stuff like that like i stub my toe oh god wants me drunk today like really i oh my gosh i would i would do that same thing that makes total sense clearly he doesn't want me sober if he didn't take my sponsor away right Right. like just what no so sick and so but what i did different is false suggestion right and she had given me 
two numbers of sponsors of women that she knew for sure had the time and availability to help me, one of which was her sponsor. Mm. That's who I called. And she's been my sponsor the whole entire time. Oh, really? Yes. Whole wow. time. Such a blessing in disguise. Yeah. So going with the first gal and then with Michelle like, through this whole time, that was really my first exposure to the real deal. One of the treatment centers I was in was very big book based. Um, it was a long-term treatment center. I did not stay <laughs> the whole time. I AMA'd <laughs> after I think like three months. But looking back, they knew what they were talking about right because right? i didn't know if this is this is how you do it yeah if they're, are they going over it the right way you know the way the book i don't know but looking back i'm like dang they really shot me with some truth i just wasn't ready to hear it of right course, yeah. so i would say going with the, the work with those women uh, primarily michelle that was where i really got to see what this deal was even about so do you remember what that woman, what your first sponsor, what she said in the meeting that like made you? I don't. You don't? I do not. I just remember she was speaking my language. Yeah. Like it, she was my people. And I remember where she was sitting in the room. I remember the meeting. I remember her. You know, I'll never forget her, but like I can't, I could not tell you what she said. Wow. <laughs> I could not, but I remember pretty much everything else. <laughs> well, you know, what's so weird is I was in a tradition study and this kind of always stood out to me. He was like, think of your first meeting, your first 12-step meeting or your first few meetings. Like, do you remember what the topic was? Do you remember what was talked about? And the answer is always no. <laughs> But you remember how you felt and you remember how you were treated. Right. Vibes. That has always stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And it's appeared to be kind of true. Yeah. Maybe one day you'll find someone <laughs> to debunk it. They remember. Right. But exactly. yeah, no, I believe it though. Yeah. People always remember where they are whenever they like first realize like step one for the first time kind right. of thing. But, you know, like the first meeting I yeah. think is is a little different and know. there's so much going on like it's very like stimulating when you're newly sober mm-hmm. or struggling to be sober some of us are still vibrating while we're there like yeah. we're not it's Head's so loud yeah yeah exactly it's really hard the social anxiety through the root i mean you name it right so i think it makes sense to me that mm-hmm. i can't pinpoint specific words but i can pinpoint how i felt and yeah. the experience overall for sure so was this your first time ever going through the steps Yes, through all 12 steps because I had done like the one, two, three dance, right? Like dip out before action, right? Maybe once or twice. But to me, I always looked at the steps as optional right? before I was actually ready to do them, right? Like I, and that maybe is a big difference there, right? Mm -hmm. I looked at them as, I don't know, maybe a pick and choose menu. Meh, you know, this one's okay. You can keep nine. (laughs) I'm good on that. You know what I mean? Like I didn't. It, it, it was so optional to me and little did I know it was the thing that was going to save my life and it happened to be absolutely free, yes. right? But yeah, so but that's my experience around that for sure. Yeah, the same thing. I thought that the steps were just like something that you did like maybe one day after you have some sobriety. Like it never when occurred to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> never occurred to me that it was the solution. Right. I don't, I'm sure somebody told me. I don't know if they oh. did, you know, but it. I mean, same thing. I always just yeah. thought they were kind of optional Mm -hmm. so you said not nine oh yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) so I assume you have a lot of experience with step nine sure yes do you want to share any of that you want to share any amends or anything yeah for sure I can I was a future tripper right like Rita Hedder right so 
when I first started working with Michelle, before we had even gone over like, you know, a good one, two and three, I'm like, you know, raise my hand. Um, are you going to make me make this amends? You know, nice. it was like this one amends that I really was afraid of. I didn't want to do it was to a large grocery chain because I would steal a lot of food. So when I was out, I spent every dollar I had on substances, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't save money for food, so I would steal food. Um, And so I lived right behind a specific grocery store. And so I was really afraid to make that amends because I'm like, man, this is a big store. You know, they got a lot of stores and a lot of fear about it. And I'll never forget what Michelle told me. She said, well, you could be like potentially, let's just run that out, right? Potentially you could be in jail, but be free, right? In mm-hmm. your spirit through doing the, the steps, including amends, this amends, or you can continue to stay out here and be in hell. Mm. What's your choice? And I'm like, I would do it, right? Mm-hmm. And my sponsor, like many sponsors, asked me in the beginning, right? Are you willing to go to any lengths for victory over this deal, right? For good and for all. And I said, yes. And she said, we'll see. I hear that yeah. so much. People it's saying, we'll thing. see. And I say it because she said it to me. So I'm sure we all got it from our sponsors. <laughs> our sponsors and then, like, but who started it? I know, right? <laughs> but the funny part is I remember my reaction. I think, ooh, she doesn't think I'm going to do it. But having the pleasure of working with so many women over the years, I 100% know why she says, and that's why I say it. It's because I, we quite literally mean we will see. No judgment behind that. It's just time will tell right. if you are truly willing, if your actions are going to match your words here, right. right? Like time proof will be in the pudding. And I hope that you do, right? Yeah. But we'll see. And that's what she meant. And that's what I mean when I say it or ask that question. So so anyways, that was a question she asked in the beginning. So when it came time to actually make amends, financial amends, I should say, I was probably, I want to say I was 10 months sober, maybe 11. I don't know, I was still in sober living because I'd stayed in Oxford for a year, actually, mm-hmm. which was a miracle. I never thought I'd stay sober that longer, a lot long, right? Right. So I had to wait till I had my own money to actually make <laughs> financial amends. Can't make amends to you. Financial amends with my mom's money. It's how it works, right? So I'd been working and was established enough where I could, okay, let's let's take care of business. So I drove back to where I used to live, which was 45 minutes, nothing terrible. And I kind of made a little mini amends trip in that area. The first place was Chipotle. Which, nice. Believe it or not, yes. I owned an amends I to Chipotle. I love Chipotle. <laughs> right? <laughs> Same. And then I kind of built up to go to the grocery store. And so I go, I walk into the grocery store and um, I find a manager and I said, hey, you know, I um, wanted to see if I can have a moment of your time. And I always laugh because for sure he probably thought I was like looking for grapes or something, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I'm like, he had no idea what was happening. And I said, well, you know, I'd, I'd really like to make an amends to you in this location if you're willing. I, you know, I feel I owe you sincere amends, et cetera. And, and he obviously doesn't know what I'm talking about. So he's like, oh, okay, well, let's go back here so we can have some privacy. And so he takes me back into his office. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? And I let him know I'm in recovery. You know, I've been sober X amount of months. And a part of the process is trying to make right our mistakes, right? And trying to amend our behavior and et cetera. I kind of gave him the spiel. And I let him know that I used to steal food from his establishment and that it was selfish. It was dishonest. It was self-seeking. You, and you name it, right? And and he was like, okay, um, you know, processing that. And he's like, all right, well, 
give me a second, I need to make a call. And he steps out of the office and makes a phone call. Were you so scared during oh, the time? Ha- girl, I looked at his desk. I like, I'm like looking around the office now, right? I look over and he has a picture of him with a city police department with their thumbs up in front of the store. And I'm like, I'm going to jail Oh sober. my God. <laughs> you know? And so I was immediately petrified. But then God comes in. Mm-hmm. At this point, I have a relationship with God. Right, which was new for me, uh, through the work. Obviously, that's what that's how I tapped into him, and so I had that relationship with God. So I thought I was just praying. You know, I'm not actually alone in this room, sitting here f- afraid. Mm-hmm. God's with me, and I remember thinking, well, if I did it, so if God needs me to go to jail sober for the crime that I committed, then so be it. Again, how free do you want to be? Right. Right. So the man comes back in and he says, "I'm sorry. You know, 35 years of managing, you know, grocery stores, I've never had this happen." And I didn't know what to do. So I called loss prevention. And he was like, um, were you ever arrested for this? I said, no. He's like, it's not rest- it's not restitution. He goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I brought cash, a roundabout figure, uh, the best of my ability of what I think the product was worth. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to pay the store back. And he was like, okay. So then he printed off a paper so I could put my name and address and contact information and the amount of money just so they could account for the extra money in the till. And I put my real name, right? <laughs> like my real address, real cell number in case they needed anything from me. And the coolest part is after that, he proceeded to ask me questions about my recovery, really? about my life, like how that was possible. And I got to share a little bit of the journey with him. And he actually commended me for what I was doing. And he said he was proud of me. Mm-hmm. And he said in the end, if you ever need anything please let me know. And he, he hugged me and I literally like left. I go to my car. I'm bawling my eyes out. Right. Cause in the book around this part in amends, it says nine times out of 10, the unexpected happens. And that's exactly what was my experience. Cause in my human sick little brain, I I play out the worst scenario. That's when I'm relying on self or relying on God. It's like, okay, this is going to play out the way God needs it. You know? But like when it's me, I'm like petrified. Right. So I'm bawling my eyes out. And then I go across the street to make another financial amends to a little corner store. They used to still, checks money money buddies from and um a woman walked in and was like oh my god you were you were at the grocery store we must have the same to-do list today and i was just like i don't think so <laughs> i don't think so susan but have a great day <laughs> like always makes me laugh but so yeah i got to make those kind of three well the ones i was most afraid of um and such a powerful experience that was you know tangible that wasn't in a book i didn't read it It was my real experience that like god you know guided me through that and and i go to that grocery store once a week i hold my head up high yeah. And I can look the world in the eye. And that's a part of those promises and the blessings that we receive as we go back into the world and try and repair the damage done is that I'm not a prisoner anymore, mm-hmm. you know? That's amazing. You know, it makes me think, Chloe, I learned this from her, but I always wondered why do we say, you know, I'm in recovery and I won't I won't stop drinking unless I you know, <laughs> clean up the bed, blah, blah, blah. Because I was like, doesn't that make it about me? And she said in the step nine talk, which I'll put the link to that in the show notes too, that what it does whenever like we say that is like we solidify that like we actually do the steps, like we actually Mm -hmm. do these things. And so it gives like brings integrity to the program. And then it also places us in a position to be helpful Mm -hmm. because if that person knows someone or that person struggling, like they know like, hey, this person is sober and recovered and can be helpful. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that so much.
Are you an alcoholic woman in recovery? At the Magdalene House, we host 12-step recovery meetings seven days a week, 365 days a year. Whether you're a woman newly sober and wondering where to begin, or you've been in recovery for decades and are looking for other women to connect with, we hope you join us. You can find our meeting schedule and other fellowship opportunities at magdalenehouse.org meetings. So you're married now. I am. Congratulations, yes. Thank by you. the way. I saw the pictures. They're absolutely beautiful. Thank you. How did you meet your husband? Okay, great story. Yes. <laughs> okay, so my husband's in recovery, long-term recovery, and so is his sister. Okay, I was wondering that. Yes. So I unbeknownst to me have met his sister before I ever met him so I met his sister years before I met him out here in Dallas when I still lived out here and um, I remember thinking oh my gosh she's so beautiful you know like I remember meeting her she was good friends with one of my friends in the program so side total side note so I got asked to share my story um, I moved to Fort Worth side after previous relationship ended really bad right horrible experience and I knew I needed to be by myself and so I left Dallas and went back to kind of the Fort Worth side and I actually moved in with my parents which at the time being a few years sober was not what I envisioned right but I was so grateful and I'm still grateful for that time spent with them in, in their golden years right they're retired and to have that time where I actually appreciate them mm-hmm. to be in the same house because I got into the deal so young you know and that I'll forever cherish but that, that's a side note so I'm I'm down in Fort Worth and coming out of that relationship I just I knew my self-worth for the first time in my life but to get there I was like look I'd been in a seven and a half year relationship and a three 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 and a half year relationship pretty much back to back Right, so I didn't know who I was as a single individual woman, let alone recovered woman. So I really focused on who I thought God wanted me to be. As like a solo person, not tied to anybody romantically, who are you, right? Yeah. Lots of prayer, lots of meditation, lots of focusing on the women in my life, lots of focusing on all the wonderful things that he had versus the one that I didn't have anymore kind of thing. Going through that process, I was single for a year which for me was 10 years, right? It was the first time. Yeah. I uh, remember at one point being like, I'm going to get some cats. I feel like this is what God wants. (laughs) I'm going to be a cat lady, right? And and no shame. I was just like, okay, let's do it. And insert my now husband, right? So I was asked to share my story. I think I mentioned that and I got sidetracked, but I was asked to share my story, can't talk, at a group in Fort Worth which ended up being my home group eventually. And I pretty much never left. Like they were my people. I loved it. Great experience. And he was a member. And the way that I am at meetings is it's boundaries on point. Like I am not there for that. Mm-hmm. I'm there for the women. I'm there to be of service, etc. Right. So I didn't talk to him ever. They would all go out to eat and I would never say yes because they would, it was a late meeting and I have to be up. I'm like 85 in my soul and they're going out to dinner late. So the one time I think it was his birthday and so everyone was going. So I said, okay, I'll go. And so that was the first time we talked um, and I had been going to the group for months at that point. And so this was the first time we're actually talking outside of meeting, you know, one-on-one essentially, because again, that's not why I'm there. And he actually does the deal. He's recovered. He, he works a program, which was new for me, and dating uh, people like me before. So anyways, I go out of town, and so I missed the meeting for the first time, and he actually messaged me like, hey, are you okay? 
and that was the first that first day we talked we never stopped talking wow so it was it was it was crazy because we connected um when I got back into town and I was really open and direct like again I knew my self-worth now having been through what I've been through and this is that was new for me but pretty early on I, I let him know what I was looking for and what I thought God wanted for me and I was like, and if this does not align with you, that's fine. But I just really wasn't there to waste my time. Mm-hmm. And either was he, which was a trip. And I remember feeling insecure because I lived with my parents. <clears throat> Guess what? At the time, he had to move back on this. Right? Like, it was just like freaking all laid out, right? So we get together and the rest is history. And just to kind of show off how God worked here in my life, like I went from ready to buy some cats to we start dating and then pretty pretty soon after we were dating there was a span of nine months where we got engaged married closed on our first home bought a new car and a puppy so no cats no cats (laughs) ironically i'm not really a cat person i don't know why like that felt right at the time but who knows and so it was like bam 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 and it was just a trip, like honest. And it all felt natural and organic. And like his family is my family and my family is his. Like my dad treats him better than he treats me sometimes. Like, and I'd never had that. Mm-hmm. Never had that in a relationship where it's just so like simpatico. It just felt like it was meant to go that way. And, and it didn't feel selfish. It didn't, it didn't feel forced. It just felt natural. Like I don't know what other way to put it. And the coolest thing about my husband that I love is that he like makes me want to be a better person. I love that. And that's new for me. Yes. I've never ever been in a a relationship and then that's not knocking the other people. That's just reality. I've never been in a relationship where I'm like, Oh wow. Well, how would Clint act if the roles were reversed? Wow. It's that inspiring. And so that, that's been something that I've cherished and he's human. He's valuable. Trust me. He has, he has flaws right mm-hmm. but stuff like that ma- matters a lot to me just having someone that just inspires me yeah. on multiple levels and so it's been a, it's been a cool journey well I want to ask you a question sure. and this is just like from my own experience you know my last relationship ended tragically obviously right. but he was a really bad addict he was great when he was sober mm. but when he was using or not even using I would say like not spiritually fit right you know because some of the stuff he did he was sober Mm. he was a totally different person Mm -hmm. and so you know I recently started dating again and he's in the program and I have I had but I still have I feel like it's like not totally addressed yet but this fear Mm. of what if this happens again yeah did you have that at all or I did so my previous relationship and loving someone like me and them not being healthy and not have the and my ex did not have a solution for his problem like he was not on the same path mm-hmm. um, that we're on but i was with him long enough to see the cycle where he could make it almost a year just staying busy and like mm-hmm. distracting which to me is mind-boggling right. like i could never i, I could stay sober either. an hour yeah. <laughs> just on that you know and then he'd go back out and he'd go out really bad, really, really hard. And there were a lot of things that happened in that relationship that it's not appropriate for me to talk about because it's not my story to tell. Mm-hmm. But I think for sure I had some level of PTSD walking away from it. So obviously different than the trauma that you experienced, but taking away 
some similarities for me. I for sure did have a couple knee-jerk reactions that I carried over or like knee-jerk fears. And so that's where 10-stepping and like prayer and meditation and communication with that sponsor right through 10 like was key because I could tell that I would be projecting on Clint. Like Mm. I could tell I was carrying over old relationship into new. And that's something that my sponsors always caution me to be careful of doing that. It's not, has nothing to do with this person. My past trauma and my past pain was not caused by you, right? Mm. One of the things about dating someone in recovery, when we first met, we both had multiple years sober. So that's important, right? We both had a solid foundation. We both were actively working the program. So that's that's something to note because a lot of times when I share the story about how I met my husband, new women in a treatment center are like, oh, see, it's possible. I know, And right? I'm like, okay, rehab goggles are different, right? Yeah. Like, So anyways, just to clarify, but one of the things that Michelle even suggested I talk about, like we had conversations about this type of stuff, me and Clint. One of the things she suggested was to see if he's had, kind of like what's the worst thing he's gone through in his recovery? Like, has he gone through hard times? And that the purpose of of going down that road was to make sure that if this didn't work out, it's not going to send this guy off. Does Mm -hmm. it make sense? Mm -hmm. And turns out he had had his fair share of of struggles that he had been through. And so I felt confident that he was in a healthy place and that I was in a healthy place and that helped. Mm -hmm. But I for sure did have some baggage that I could feel pop up here and there. But I tried my hardest through prayer meditation through 10 stuffing again to not take that out on him and he was very understanding because I did share what I had been through and so it made sense to him where it was coming from you know and 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 so that's kind of my experience around that hopefully that makes sense no it, it absolutely does make sense and how wonderful is it that you could be honest and have those conversations with him yeah can I ask what because from what I know you stuck by your ex or not mm. stuck by I hate saying that because it's like sounds like stand by your man kind of thing and that's right. you know not necessarily what people have to do but I know you stayed with him how about that for a lot of it a mm-hmm. lot of the relapses and stuff so what was it that and you can correct me if I'm wrong but when did you know that it was time to leave <laughs> oh that's a great question so I canceled the the wedding we were engaged okay mm-hmm. and I canceled the the wedding a month out Okay, so what that looks like, <laughs> flights are booked from the family and PA. Wow. Dresses. I, I had two dresses because I freaked out about the first one. I was like, oh, look, you know, security, whatever. The dresses are altered, ready to go. Cake is paid for. Venue is secured. Literally everything at that point, that close to the date, is done. Wow. It would have been easier to stay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just kind of hope for the best, right? Yeah. And uh, so it was harder, which I don't know that everybody on it, because some family were really upset. They didn't understand, you know, the extended family that wasn't around here. They didn't know the details, obviously. And even my mom doesn't know all the particulars of how bad it was and what exactly happened, because that's, you know, that's harmful for her. But anyway, so how I found out he wasn't doing well was through his mom. His mom actually called me because love is so blinding. Mm-hmm. Love can be so blinding blinding and we were talking about this earlier but you would think someone who's been through the ringer like ourselves when you're on the other side of it of loving the sick person you would think we would handle it so perfect I know, and right? I know exactly what to say and to do and I know it's not about me and that's just not that's not my experience and mm-hmm. I think I handle it better I'd like to hope than I would have without this program yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely. what I'm saying I would have been right there with him but I definitely had defects pop up around this it was a process I had reached out to 
Al-Anon at some point uh, to see if that was something that I needed at a suggestion of my sponsor, talked with somebody briefly, um, ended up not going through the work, but she gave me some valuable suggestions. Um, I, mean, I was really just desperate for anything, really, that mm-hmm. could make my life not seem like a plane that just crashed, you know, and that's how it felt. And so there was a lot of lies that came out, lots of uh, details that I was extremely uncomfortable with, lots of things I didn't, I couldn't begin to process that were going down. And the, in the end, um, I tried to break up with him at one point and he pretty much immediately tried to come back, you know, and I let him, <laughs> let him back. And, but in the end, it was just so clear. I think a lot of situations in the book, it talks about the right answers will come if we want we them. We want them, yes. You know? If we want them is mm, the key. Key part there. Yeah. And so obviously I'm praying and, and meditating around this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just calling my sponsor just to straw, like all, all of it, right? And I think a lot of situations where we just hold our grip so tight over a person or a place or a job or a thing that we we're so afraid of losing and that we're not really willing to let go of maybe. And I think... God, in my experience, will hit me over the head with a two by four repeatedly. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, sis, you didn't hear me that time. (laughs) And and so that's what kept happening. There were situations that were just out of a freaking nightmare. I mean, things just like, I got to be the only person in the world was going through this is what I thought, right? Like things just out the blue, crazy things were going down. And and so he's giving me opportunity after opportunity to see the truth. And I'm just like, nope, nope, it'll Mm -hmm. be fine. We're engaged. I finally got my forever. I'm so happy. And obviously I loved him and that I didn't want to see the truth. And so eventually in the end, I, I'm lack of a better term, but God, God gave me the gift of sight around the situation. I love and, that. The gift of yeah, sight. Oh. It, and it's so painful. Like even with us, when we go through inventories, right? We get the gift of sight and with others and it, it's, it's, it can be, it's so painful usually to get there. For me, it's not a graceful entrance into mm-hmm. sight, right? Or whatever you want to call it. But it definitely, I got the gift of sight, I, I would say. And I could, I could see, I started to know my worth and I, through that pain and through that journey with God and process. And I just wasn't going to do it anymore. I wasn't going to take it. And I remember I sat him down and I told him, this is, this is a hit. Like, and, and I think he could tell that I was done. And, it was actually crazy because I could almost visually see a weight like lifted off of him. Really? Yeah, because of how sick he was. And I don't know. We didn't like process later yeah. on how it went. But I think the best thing I could have done for him is to, I'll put it this way. I knew that there were battles he had that I could not help him with. Mm. And I think when I finally stopped trying to help him with things, I had no place in um helping him in really it was him and god it's a solo journey bro and i remember telling him that i was like this is between you and god and i can can no longer walk down with you on this journey and i think when i finally got to the place and he knew i was serious that it just clicked and i think it was the best thing i could ever do for him Mm. so that was the end of that and there was no going back i just admire you so much because how hard would it be to cancel a wedding the month before like you said it would have been easier to stay Mm -hmm. and I remember I was married once upon a time (laughs) and the whole marriage and everything in the divorce was a direct result of my alcoholism and my drug addiction. And, but I remember thinking I'm already in, right? You know, I'm going to get married no matter what, even though there were signs that was like, maybe it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. 
but I was so committed because I was already like I said I was already in it was already a piece planned. of paper yeah it, <laughs> right. it was already you know like yeah. everything was already planned like I already had my dress I already had the, right you yeah. know so, so I just can't imagine how hard that was it sucked and again I didn't share all the intimate details with all my family because yeah. again I, a lot of what happens not my story to tell I'm a big believer in that and so they that, didn't fully understand yeah you know they had to trust me that it was the right decision God. it was a trip it really was but again on the other side of all that pain and suffering all that lost money was a marriage I could I, I could I couldn't have dreamed of you know and, mm. and I don't mean that as go us I mean as go God because had I not gone through that experience I would I would not be the partner that I am today mm. I would not value my spouse the way that I do I would not value myself the way that I do had I not truly been broken through that mm-hmm. you know and and so not to be cliche but some of the worst things I've been through because recovery is not all puppy dogs and kittens it's just not anybody who tells you it is is you know I'm sorry it's not <laughs> you know they're struggling that's not true you know <laughs> yeah so um and I was the type of person back in the day that I thought maybe just maybe like if every single thing in my life you know rest of the time went well I could magically stay sober maybe obviously would never happen and wasn't possible but that was my delusion so I'm a big believer in sharing the truth, the whole truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly, including pain, mm-hmm. because I was such a person that thought, again, I told you if I stub my toe, I'm like, oh, God wants me to drink today. Right. So it's like we can walk through pain. We can walk through trauma, and it's not pretty, and it is not easy by any means. But for me and my experience, there's typically blessings on the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I love is, that. I know you know yeah. that truth, too. What I hear too is someone who is completely God reliant through the whole thing. Do you know how how bad I would want to tell people the details so that way they knew, <laughs> you know, that I'm not calling this wedding off for some reason? Oh, like man. that in itself would have been so hard for me. <laughs> yes, I understand. Uh, yeah. Yes, I remember I was reading inventory to a friend of mine and I've told this story before, but and it was on Isaac. And she said that character assassination was one of mm. my defects because I, I was like telling people what he did, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm not character assassinating. I'm just telling the truth. You know, right? <laughs> like, oh, I love it. Yeah. So anyways, I still like to think I handled the situation <laughs> as principled as I could and with as much grace as I could. But because um, that was when we were going through it when we broke up or right. whatever. I just have so much respect for you for that. Well, thank you. And and there, trust me, there were definitely mistakes made. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but I was like obsessively going through my house, going through all this stuff. I would bait him into questions. I would ask him questions that I I knew he could not be honest about. Like mm-hmm. I was putting him in a position to be dishonest, which was so selfish, mm-hmm. right? When you ask somebody a question, you know they're not doing, you know they're not going to be truthful, and then you get mad at them for lying. Mm-hmm. It's so sick, right? So I definitely had a lot of flaws through it. But again, like having that sounding board for crazy, aka sponsor, to bounce that off of was 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 really helpful. While obviously just trying to just pour my heart out to God through it. But they definitely were not. Uh, it wasn't perfect, <laughs> yeah, by any means. But but thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah. So you leaned into God more through the whole thing, right? Yes. Okay. And what yeah. did that look like? So I have two relationship snafus when I got sober and so I'll kind of touch on the other one because I think that that will tie into your question Mm -hmm. I was in a seven-year relationship when I got sober okay so very codependent lots of 
history. Yeah, lots, lots of stuff there, right? So when I was maybe five months sober, in, in sober living, actually doing the deal, recovered right at this point, he gets out of jail. And so I go pick him up, of course, like a good little codependent. And he sees that I'm actually sober and that I'm actually different this time. And so it actually, interestingly, gave him hope that he could have the same. So that was a trip. So this dude, XX, right, he goes into sober living. He gets a sponsor. He works the steps. And I'm in my head thinking, oh, my God, finally, we're going to be together forever. Like, thank you, God, right? Not too long after, a month or two later, he stops talking to me. Wow. Come Like, ghost face killer completely disappears out of my life and seven-year relationship. Now, mind you, I know where he lives. <laughs> He's in sober living still. He's still doing the deal. He just completely zero, like no communication. Wow. No reason why, no goodbye. Boop, cut it off. Which at that time, one of my biggest fears when I got sober was losing that relationship because it was mm. such a significant relationship for me. We started dating when I was 16, right? Wow. And so I remember I would call my sponsor intensely. I'd be like, I'm, on my, I'm gonna go over there. And she'd be like, well, why do you wanna go over there? I'd be like, well, because I want answers. And she's like, well, that's selfish. So I suggest you don't do that. You know? Mm. <laughs> mind blown mm -hmm. and so that sounding board of crazy again it was just so important when we're struggling but what that looked like i remember going to bed at night in the sober living and i remember feeling like an elephant was sitting on my chest that kind of just overwhelming heartbreak and i remember crying myself to sleep in oxford and thinking well i could just like end it just go back out just kind of end it right and i remember my immediate second thought was that's a horrible idea yeah and that scared me because that's recovered. That was your almost knee-jerk reaction thought to be that our substances don't even seem appealing to us anymore. And the moment where my heart is smashed into a million pieces, mm -hmm. substances were my safety blanket. Mm -hmm. If the world hurt me, they were always there. So here I am without that. And so that really, that one experience that I had, again, probably six months sober, was what taught me what to do later on, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So what I did is I focused on the women in my life. I focused on my family. I focused on my friends. I focused on my job. Again, all of the people that God had in my life versus the one he didn't. Let me channel my energy to all these people and places that he has around me, right? And that's, you know, my commitment, all these things. And, and that's what really cemented my belief, honestly, in God, my belief in this program, because I didn't read it in a book. My sponsor didn't tell me about it. Mm -hmm. It was a real life experience yes. that this stuff works. Mm -hmm. My obsession was removed. Like I could tell in that experience. And so when I went through that pain and trauma later, I had that solid foundation. I knew that I had been through hard times before and what got me through that God, sponsor, community, right? Like women, family, just kind of taking it back to all those wonderful gifts that God has around us. If that makes sense. I know that's a really long answer. No, I love <laughs> your it. your question, but that's my style if you can't tell. No, I mean, that is great for podcasts. So. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yes. I was just holding on to that whenever you said focus all the people that mm -hmm. God has in my life instead of the one person that he doesn't. Mm -hmm. I just feel like that needs to be said again to somebody who's listening, who's probably obsessing over the one person mm -hmm. that... God doesn't have in their life. It's hard. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's exactly one hour. Woo! Look at um, us. <laughs> and, you know, I could talk to you more. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. But is there anything that we haven't talked about that you do want to talk about? Um, Man, no. I, I think we went over a lot of really good stuff. The only thing 
maybe that I would add, which is just completely side note, is my favorite part about recovery. Yeah. Well, maybe not recovery, but like talked about the job. I talked about, or I didn't really talk about the job, but I have a job. It's great. <laughs> Got promoted. I'm a good worker. What? Wait, Crazy, right? <laughs> Amazing. But um, talked about getting a car and a dog and a house and a husband and obviously talked about God a lot, which is, which is great. But my favorite part of like blessings, I would say, is peace. Yes. And that's important for me to share because that was not in my vocabulary before. Mm-hmm. I literally hated myself. Like that was in my inventories. <laughs> like, what are you afraid of being alone? Why I hate myself? Literally, that mm-hmm. was my truth and lots of issues around that. But being able to be alone, whether that's going through a breakup, looking into cats or buying a house with my now husband or with people or alone or not alone, that relationship with self and with God, you can take anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's not dependent on external or materialistic things and I think for me that's the most powerful thing that I just wanted to touch on see if it helps anyone at all because if anyone was like me that that seems so unattainable yeah I mean it's so true though yeah right we can get all of the things back yeah you know and we can get the job and the Mm -hmm. car and all those things that I know like I wanted really bad and that seemed more possible than like being okay 100 percent yeah like my brief times of being sober or dry mm-hmm. were miserable. Right. I didn't have a solution. I was worse yeah. on some levels, right? Same. And that's what I thought recovery would be like because I had no other experience. Same. And I thought I'd be walking on a tight rope, a tight, <laughs> tight rope, my whole life, mm-hmm. avoiding all these things. And that's not what we have to share. Yeah. If that's what life was like, I, w- I would not be sober. Same. Right. And so that's important for me to tell people is like true freedom and. And true peace is possible. Yeah. And it's, I was thinking about this too whenever you were talking, but feeling God's presence and like feeling God's love and knowing God's with you, even whenever you're walking through some of like the the most difficult times of your life is like something that Mm -hmm. is unexplainable. Right. You know, but it's such a gift. Yes. hundred percent. And there's no way I would have that without this program. Right. You know, it would be so dark. Right. And the funny part, just for anyone listening who's maybe not down with, you know, God or higher power, you know, wherever you're at in the spectrum of of maybe just maybe to know never, you know, I didn't want a relationship with God when I came into this program. I did not want a relationship with God. I just didn't want to die. Right. I literally, that's where it started for me. And so step two, obviously, was, thank God, it's just a yes or no question, right? Did I make the sun come up this morning, essentially? No. Right. Cool. We can move on. So luckily, you know, we did the steps out of the book and the way they're outlined and and quickly and thoroughly. But I just want to put that out there that this is pretty much all inclusive. It makes Mm -hmm. it really easy for someone who's sick to say maybe, just maybe. Mm -hmm. And that's very much where I started. So you hear a lot about my relationship with God, about prayer and meditation, but just like step two says, it says came to believe, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't say come with belief. I did not have belief when I started. So as a result of going through this work and going through these trials and these blessings, I very much have belief, but that's not where I started. So I think it's important to kind of clarify that for yeah, somebody absolutely. who's not there. Yeah, for sure. So what is your, f- I'm starting to ask everyone this, what is your favorite 
line or part in the big book oh my goodness i know it's hard to pick one but that is so hard because i love it all i really do that book the way it's written it's just freaking brilliant I know some history. I'm not like, oh, Bill said this on this day at this time. You know, you know, kudos to you. I, I don't. I'm not that into it. But what I do know, I see God all over it. The way that mm-hmm. the program came about and the book and, the, and all the things. Right? It's just, it's incredible. But for me, for the longest time, my favorite part was page 24 in italics. Mm. Right? And it gives us the time frame that we have about a week to a month. <laughs> will you Will you read it? Yeah, or will of course. You, so people yeah. can hear. Let it? me grab it. One okay. second. Is that the same book from? Yes. Oh my gosh. I know. Literally. Like they even have the rehab people, like rehab stuff. No way. Which is dope because I would get books, all the books, rehab after rehab, and they would go in a bin. And so to actually have studied a book to the point where it falls apart is kind of cool. Y'all, I'm seeing this book and it is... I don't know how she's still able to hold on to it. I need to just duct tape it, really. But I, I and I have another. I think a pretty one, like a leather one. It's my house book. Oh, and this is my car book. So nice. I always have it if I need to go see a woman. But yeah, you might need to duct tape it. <laughs> it's like whatever. I could totally change it out. But I think that's a part of one of the like life things that I learned and struggling in, in the way that I did before when I was out is like, ah, still works. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, anyways, back to. One of my favorite parts of the book, page 24 in italics, uh, first indented paragraph says, The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Mm. Oh. Solid. It's italics, obviously, super important, right? But the reason why I, I've that was my favorite part of the book for the longest time is because that explained for me many things for which I couldn't otherwise account. I could see the first half of step one really clearly. I was having a bad reaction to these substances, and I couldn't control them. I uh, couldn't count my numbers, etc. But what was harder for me to see, and I feel like it's harder for a lot of women to see because it can look like so many different things, is the mental obsession. Yes. Oh, my God. I say the same thing yes. when I lead meetings here. Oh, good. Yes. Hey. So it's so, oh, my gosh, it's so tricky. It's the most cunning, baffling, powerful thing of Amen. this whole deal. For real, right? And so that's why I think I love that because all those times I talk about being in and out treatment, in and out treatment, in your jail or whatever, I honest to God thought I had a shot mm-hmm. I, on my own with no solution, right? Just uh, – <laughs> Going out there, doing my best. I really thought, man, I learned enough or I know enough or whatever. And little did I know, it was, you know, tick, 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 tick. It was a matter of when I was going to relapse and not if. Mm-hmm. And I had literally no idea. So I think when I finally learned that, it was broken down to me in layman's terms, like from the book, like by my sponsor, a woman who'd walk a mile in my shoes. I was like, oh, man, that's my truth. And so I think that was why for a long time that was my favorite part. So that's why I'll share that because it's so hard to choose some the greatness that's in there. But for me, that was like really eye-opening in, in a part of understanding my condition. And, and so that's why I choose that part. I love it. And yeah. now you've been sober for eight and a half years and have a beautiful life. It's so crazy. It's, amazing. it's really weird if you think about it. Like if you sit down and you're like, oh my goodness, it's a trip to think about. Yeah. But I'm super blessed for sure the way things have played out and the fact that I'm able to be helpful when a lot of us aren't. 
mm. aren't here, you mm-hmm. know, and um, that's a question, you know, a lot of us, I feel like we'll, we'll go down, like, why am I here, you know, mm-hmm. versus yeah. loved ones who aren't, because, you know. Like, I, why me? Why do I, why yeah. do I get this deal? The only thing that I can come up with personally is to help somebody mm-hmm. hopefully not go down with yeah. the ship you know what I mean so yeah well this is like I said it's been wonderful y'all if you have loved what you heard please share this with a friend also you can upload it to your Instagram story tag the Magdalene house let us know what your takeaways are we would love to hear from you again please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. it is more than just the review it is about reaching more alcoholic women so not only can they hear experience strength and hope from these fascinating women that I get to interview every week I have the best job in the world um but so women can know about the free services that we have here because we have free services and everybody deserves a chance to recover and so believe it or not your little review will help that so and rate us on Spotify and until then um I will catch you guys on the next episode bye bye thank you (laughs) podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.